You're listening to. And what is poppin', everybody? Happy New Year! It is the first Good Pop Culture Club of 2023. Um, hope everyone had a happy New Year. Um, my name is Marvin Yuan, and joining me for the New Year to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have a formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American, Just Ju. Hello, Marvin. Hey, Jess. How was your New Year? It was great. I stayed inside and I kept dry. Mm. Yes, it is. <laughs> it has been raining. It's been a very rainy. It's been oddly moist in <laughs> L- I mean, LA you know we we needed this but it's been like raining and I haven't left my house in three days which is great it, it also means that um it's flooding because we can't deal with it and also there's probably a ton of sinkholes because LA can't deal with rain. our infrastructure wasn't built for this Han yeah. yeah but we needed this I've been driving around going to the gym um I also have a visitor it is a stray cat oh no <laughs> oh another one well, this is one that I, it, it has a collar, but it doesn't, it is not chipped or tagged. And so he and is doesn't want to go home. Well, I took, I put him in my bathroom because the thing is I'm trying mm. to find a, uh, a foster for it. And so I did, but people are really angry because they're like, it could be someone's cat. And I'm like, look, I'm posting it everywhere. I have flyers. I have all that. And I was like, they can come forward if it's their cat. But I also paid for it to get neutered. And and chipped. Oh wow! So, wow, that's like a whole thing. I think it's just your cat now, Han. Well, I'm gonna not. I mean, my cats will not stand for it. But um, <laughs> I, 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 if if I were rich, I would be considered like a rescuer. But um, yeah. at this point, I was just like, you know what? I I can't, in good conscience, put this cat back on the street with his balls intact. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that applies for men too. <laughs> Truly, you never know what happens any day at Han's Wildlife Refuge, also Woodland known as her house. <laughs> recluse, yeah. <laughs> if I had more money, I definitely would be one of those people. <laughs> um, that voice is our professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. How, hey. How did the how did how did the rest of your holidays shake out? Uh, besides the cat, um, it was really. Thankfully, very low key, just because even though I didn't get COVID, I did get one of the other mysterious illnesses. And so I, I was laid up, you know, for a bit. Oh, yeah. Han's mentioning that because um, I did get COVID um, last week, uh, which is why our best of 2022 episode didn't go out last week, uh, because I was banned from my office or leaving my bedroom for a whole week by uh, by my family. And yeah, so that's why um, why we missed a week. But uh, we are back now to talk about, speaking of if we had more money, a film <laughs> about people with tons of money. Uh, we're starting out the year by diving into the new Knives Out mystery, Glass Onion, that's streaming out on Netflix, um, which, you know, I had plenty of time to watch in addition to a lot of other things because I was stuck in my room for a whole week. Um, you know... I'm glad, Han, that you didn't get COVID because COVID does suck. Oh. But I'm glad that my 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 bout was actually pretty mild, uh, which is not to say that I want to do it again. Um, definitely, definitely <laughs> mas- still masking and still being careful because, you know, I hear this shit just gets worse each time you get oh, it. Oh, is this your first time? Yeah. Oh, how fun. I'm, how fun. I'm, how novel for you. <laughs> I'm still COVID virgin. Wow. So. You're so strong. Uh, I don't know about that. 
It, how long? How you guys have gone this entire time without catching COVID? Yeah. I mean, we had a couple scares, like the time you almost gave us COVID when yeah. we had dancing yeah. together. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but I didn't. That so. said, I, I that said, I do. I am craving dim sum, so we can try it again and see. <laughs> I went through two exposures without getting it, and this was my third time. And I guess third time's a charm. Um, it was probably from a get together I went to with my high school friends. And out of all of the high school friends, I was the only one that came down with it. So oh. lucky me. Yeah, at least when I got COVID, everyone in my group got COVID. So I was like, <laughs> oh, this was obviously the thing that gave us COVID. And we're all like, we all watched like movies together. It was actually kind of fun. We did watched, I like, do... Turning Red together on like Disney did... watch party. <laughs> oh, you did use that. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to know how it worked. Okay. Yeah. Like we we're just cool. all texting each other, ch- check ins. Like, is everyone alive? Like, how's the progress? <laughs> Anyways. That is to say, it is the New Year's. Happy New Year's. We hope everyone had um, a great holidays and, you know, a good first week back to work. Um, Han, I know you have the most wonderful time for you next week. I'm excited for more news from there. Um, But yeah, um, like we mentioned, we're talking about Glass Onion, the new Knives Out mystery. Um, But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this first week of 2023. Um. Let's start with Jess. What's popping? Oh, all right. So over the holiday break, I started the, I don't even know what to call this, this, the the event, the experience (laughs) that is the best man final chapters. For those of you who don't know, who are not cultured, the best man was a movie that came out in 1999 that starred a plethora of beautiful, talented, attractive black actors. They made a holiday sequel like 15 years later called The Best Man Holiday. Entire cast came back. And now they are concluding it with this limited series. I think it's like eight or ten episodes. Whole cast is back again and then some. Let me tell you, Malcolm Lee and The Best Man franchise untethered by time and untethered by... I guess movie ratings fucking insane insane I'm having a great time is it a good show I don't know is it entertaining as fuck yes do I get the same feeling I get when I watch like and what what was this and just like that a hundred but like better because everyone is (laughs) the characters are less annoying but it's still like very it's it's quite insane it's quite heightened um everyone looks fucking fantastic and i do say i will say i think tay dicta's character harper who's also a writer and um that's kind of what sets this whole kerfuffle afoot he writes a book about all his friends and their college escapades which carries over um they're now wanting to option that into a movie so it's kind of bringing everything meta a little full circle and it's also he is such a terrible friend and he's a terrible husband and he's so self-involved but it's very entertaining to watch highly recommend it's streaming on peacock you can get peacock for free you know now that you mentioned i am pretty uncultured because i have no idea what any of this stuff you have a culture gap okay it's it's about a group (laughs) of college friends um at a wedding that's what it's called the best man and tay diggs's character is the best man to morris chestnut's character and again everyone in this movie became is beautiful yeah, these are some good talented, looking people on and they yeah and they all became like very successful so this is the debut performance of regina hall who i fucking oh. love and mm-hmm. is amazing um 
and it's just about this group of college friends. Uh, Nia Long is in it. San- Sana Lathan. Um, yeah, Morris Chestnut, Regina Hall, Tay Diggs. It- it's a fucking packed. Yeah, packed, it, it's packed one cast. of those. It's one of those seminal films from that era. Like if you if you like love and basketball, or you know, <laughs> and then all just, of them come back for this. Um... All of them came back with the exception. I don't know if you care about spoilers. This series, <laughs> basically, something big happens in the Christmas movie, um, <laughs> where you know one of them faces a major. One of them is has term a terminal illness, and that's like a big part of that movie. So we're kind of dealing with the aftermath of that. I, I feel bad for that actor because they don't necessarily get to be a part of it in the same way, and their performance was always great. But essentially, in the first movie, you find out that. Tay Diggs's character actually slept with the bride in this wedding and it's all in the book and the book is being passed around and like all the friends are kind of starting to learn about all of this especially the groom who is this big you know big man football player who has some pretty misogynistic views about women Uh, but you know 90s it's the character it's fine um and it's just very entertaining but the show takes it to another level like we start off with a wedding nicole ari parker is like the bride it's it's very funny they're all very funny like one of them is terrence howard oh sorry terrence howard is in this movie (laughs) it's a very big um yeah it's just kind of insane like a lot happens they pack a lot into these few episodes and it's very entertaining it's characters i've known for like decades at this point so it's always fun to um come back and I just really enjoy watching these people on screen. So yeah, would recommend. But you have to start with the 1999 movie Best Man, Marvin. Yeah. And then Best Man Holiday and then watch this. Yeah. Uh. I don't think you quite get the same understanding because they do drop you in. They do a little like recap, but they're dropping you with in with the assumption that you've had a relationship to all these characters for some time and you know about their life, which is kind of interesting though, right? When you do the whole like, you know, one thing about reboots, whether they're successful or not, it's always interesting to see the same actor pick up the same character decades from when they first play them and what they can do with that. Um, and again, very talented actors and everyone looks so good. Like if you compare the first to the now, 1999 to 2022, 20 something years, honestly, everyone looks fucking good. Yeah. All right. Um, another thing to add to my to watch list, I guess. Um, all right. Han. What's popping? So mm, I've been just going a little mindless because press tour is coming. So I really should be watching serious things and I'm not. Um, (laughs) Instead, I am spending my time with Netflix, uh, which is releasing weekly new episodes of uh, The Circle. Um, It's, you know, reality show about social media and people stuck in an apartment and um, Singles Inferno. Uh, which is the Korean reality show about uh, hot singles on an island. Um, They're both kind of of a piece because this season of The Circle, everyone is supposedly single. Um, It's kind of weird, though, because a lot of them are catfishing each other. So some of them are single only on their profile, (laughs) but they're actually married. Some of them are single and they're like grandpas. And so they're Ooh. acting like their own daughters. So it's a little oh my God. at times. Um, yeah, but but also some of them are gay, but they're like, I'm just going to be bisexual in my profile. So they're flirting with everyone. So um, 
I think it's kind of fascinating as I've always liked the circle. I've always wanted to be on the circle. Um, it's it's shot in in England though, so I'm just like they need to bring my cats with me because how long will I be there? <laughs> like, um, That's but, what you get uh, for being cat lady, Han. It's complicated. Yeah, life. well. Or I need a partner who will just take care of the cats and then I can just deal with it. Um, but so that's an interesting thing. And I just, of course, you know, kind of along my Korean dramas, the whole thing about Singles Inferno is very similar to when I was watching um, the uh, Love is Blind Tokyo or Japan, Japan edition, which is the ways people in a different country deal with each other, talk about relationships, um, feels distinctly different from America not to say that this is reality but at least the way they present themselves is way different from how Americans do when they are going on a dating show and a lot of it is talking about their feelings of being really mature about how even if you like me but I don't like you back we can still talk about that (laughs) and they're very adamant about like it's okay I don't want to pressure you but I just want to let you know how I'm feeling that I do like you and I was just like, what? For me, I'd be like, forget you. If you don't like me back, I, I like you've never existed. So I was like, this is a very interesting way of doing things. Um, yeah. Now, Singles Inferno is also another one of my pop culture guests because I did not watch that first run. Um, can you I, briefly explain to me what exactly the setup is for that show? Well, here's the funny thing is I actually was turned off by Singles Inferno by when they did the initial introduction to here's a new person on this island and the thing is the reason why i was turned off by it was the people who question them in the sort of like initial interview always ask them what do you think is your best feature why do you think people like you do you are you good at getting guys so they have kind of no recourse except to kind of brag about themselves and so i thought i was very turned off because i was like we know Korea has a big beauty industry. And so I was like, is this going to be a lot of people who are full of themselves and talking about being beautiful? But the thing is, yes, they are all beautiful, but they actually don't talk about themselves that way at all beyond that initial interview. So basically what it is, is any um, various singles from the 20s to 30s um, go to an island and they're stuck on this island called Inferno. Um, Supposedly it's hell, but it's fine um the guys and girls this is very hot people right yeah it's very hetero so the guys are separated from the girls um there's none of this uh love island uh sleep in the same bed shit none of that no you like glamp and they glamp in like two separate tents yeah they glamp and the thing is if you align correctly then you might get to go with your crush to paradise which is a hotel that is like super fancy and they and they're excited because in Inferno, the island, you are stuck with the food they give you. So sometimes it's a lot of vegetables. Sometimes it's just, um, I think, like cans of chicken breast and sweet potatoes. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're very lucky, like if you make it to day like five, then they give you ramen, <laughs> which everyone gets really oh. excited for. And what's kind of fun about that is on each season, there's only two seasons. There's usually one person who actually is secretly a chef um, so they can cook and and you're cooking off of like this weird fire and walk situation. Um, so you're limited in your resources. So you want to go to paradise in order to sleep on a nice bed, eat the amazing food. They usually like order at least three or four meals a piece. 
<laughs> dishes a piece, um, s- swim in the fancy pool, etc. And then, of course, you get to talk to someone. The things that they are um, that they talk about is on Inferno. You're not you're not allowed to reveal a few things: your age and your profession. So you're supposed to um, win people over by your charms. <laughs> but when you get to Paradise, you get to find out. Oh my God, you're like eight years older than I am, or you're secretly a plastic surgeon, or you're still a college student. Um, so what I like about this season is there is someone who is, I believe, American. And um, so yes. her Korean is a little bit like rusty. And so pe- some people can tell that. Um, and uh, so there is there are those kind of like revelations. Um, one person I was surprised definitely about <laughs> um, what I think besides the fact that I like how they talk about relationships, what I don't like is that it does mean that when people say, hey, I still like you, even if you've rejected me 20 times over, I'm just like, this is what you get from those Korean dramas where the the love triangle just leaves one person pining forever. (laughs) So I'm like, at least make them happy or at least say, I'm going to move on now. But uh so anyway, it's a really interesting social cultural thing that is different from the circle. I enjoy both. Um, I enjoy the way that we present ourselves and um, and how people identify with themselves um, in this way. And a lot of times, I do think that people are wrong, <laughs> even on Singles Inferno. Even if they think they're in touch with themselves, I'm just like, no, just move on. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting. Anyway, so that is mine. Um, what about you, Marvin? All right. So, um, like I mentioned, I spent the last week in COVID quarantine in my bedroom. Um, but luckily, I have a TV with a Roku box. So I was able to watch my Netflix and all my streaming. And um, I decided to finally catch up on some shows that I've been putting off. Um, first of which was The Rings of Power, um, the Amazon mm. Lord of the Rings show, which was, you know, I liked it. It's pretty, you know, it's, you know, you can definitely see all the money that was pouring into that show because the set designs, the, the CG, the production design was were all just super beautiful. And, you know, they're telling a big sprawling story based on Tolkien's, I guess, notes and footnotes. Um, I, I will say after watching the, um, again, the masterpiece that was Andor, I was kind of hoping for more on the political side of like, if you're going to do some world building in Middle Earth, I want to see like, I guess the bureaucracy of it all, but you know, Lord of the Rings has. Is, is there about bureaucracy that. in Lord no, of Lord the Rings? Rings is, Isn't it just like magic? Men, like yeah. Kingdom of Men, fighting <laughs> evil. It's like it's very, it's very black and white. Very like darkness is evil, whiteness is good. Man is selfish, so that's kind of evil in itself. But there's not a lot of like, not as much core drama as say like a Game of Thrones world. Yeah, that's why I liked it better. <laughs> um, I liked the characters more. <laughs> yeah, and that um, Hellbrand. Very right, right. Very charming. Uh, very charming. Um, you gotta have a dirty, uh, sort of rogue. like, yeah, yeah, sort of like a scalawag. Yeah. Um, sort of. Um, but I also liked um the dwarves. Yeah. Um, and I was only I have to say not crazy about the Harfoots, uh, who are the that was the most of- like. Yeah, I guess the Hartfords, which was the the hobbits of this world, they've always been the they're they're kind of the more like kidified. I mean, they've always been like the whimsical, innocent characters, and it does kind of clash with the more grim, dark aspects of the mm. Lord of the Rings world, where you're dealing with 
an encroaching and very brutal evil in like the orcs and Sauron and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't mind it as much. Um, I did find myself more invested in the more, I guess, um, swords and sorcery parts of it. But, you know, the, the Hardfoot story did have the wizard, which was fun. Yeah. Um, I What I did like about it was that it was a weekly release. And so it kind of was nice to tune into like uh, a movie uh, level visual adaptation yeah. that I could just sort of sink into. Um, yeah. So, you know, watching Rings of Power got me on a, you know, on a fantasy kick. So I said, you know what? Let's see the new fantasy series that's out right now, Disney's Willow. And man, that was a transition because <laughs> I honestly, I don't remember much about the original Willow. Um, I remember Val Kilmer was in it. I remember there was mm-hmm. like stones that turned things into stone. But ask me about the plot of Willow, and I have no idea. I didn't remember you know, there was a baby. A, I forgot there was a it was yeah. around the baby. What? Yeah, you should just watch Willow first before you watch the the series. Um, I I am going to watch the series, but I was like, I started the movie, and I was like, I don't feel like it right I now. I mean, they so. recap it in the beginning. Um, but what was the real like? There was a couple of things that was. There were a couple of things that was a kind of a wild swing. First of all, is production design. After watching Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power. You really feel that drop in budget. I know it's a Disney show, but this one definitely felt like a streaming show compared to like Rings of Power. And the other thing is like I did not remember that. Uh, because Rings of Power is a very British fantasy. Everyone is very English. Um yeah. and everyone will have they have American accents. It's like It's a little weird. Um yeah, I I heard that it was a little rougher, and but I heard that it got better as it went along. So, it did. So okay. it has more of a comedy feel. It's like a comedy fantasy. Um, it's more of a straightforward quest and adventure. Like Rings of Power was more grand fantasy epic about varying like powers and like interests, um, telling stories in lots of different locales. Whereas Willow kind of follows this group of kids on a quest, and. You know, it's about the two twin children of Mad Mardigan, who was uh, Val Kimmer's character, who marries the princess, who becomes the queen. Uh, one of the two twins, the brother, gets kidnapped, and the rest of them get set out on a uh, on a quest to save him, accompanied by a young knight in training, a pearl treasure hunter, a neighboring prince, and then the chosen one, the baby from the first uh, movie, shows up again. But then she's been living in hiding since the first film for for you know reasons. Um, and, you know, it kind of took a while for me to get into the vibes, but, you know, we're seven episodes in right now. I think there's one more left of the season, and I am looking forward to that finale. I've, I've, I've bought into it. Um, you know, I think once you get into the, I guess, the vibes are going for, right, um, it's it's actually pretty, very watchable. It reminds me of, um, do you guys remember the Hercules and Xena TV series from like the oh, late yeah. 90s. Yes. Oh, yes. It has those vibes. Like the banter is super cheesy, but the characters pull them off. Um, the action is pretty it's decent. I, I wouldn't say it's amazing, but it's pretty good. And the adventure is just very like each episode takes place in a different leg of their journey. So you're always seeing someplace new, new developments, um, new characters. And at the center, there's also a, a, a sapphic relationship in the center of it, which is pretty pretty cool for a disney show i think to like feature like feature a queer couple at the at the center of the story yeah i i I heard a lot of good things as far as that goes when it comes to the representation in fantasy like who knew (laughs) 
Yeah. Who knew? So actually have dragons and monsters, but no gay people. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And the brings the power brought people of color. So is this one. Now we also got queers. I mean, this Great. one also has people of color. Like one of the standout characters is the character of Borman, who is the treasure hunter, who's played by Amar Chada Patel, who is basically just a he he, he just plays a big himbo that wields a giant cleaver. And he is probably I like that. Yeah, he is, like you said, one of those scallywags. He's a big, dumb idiot who's in it for himself. Um, but also there's a scene where, where he takes a shower in a waterfall, like topless, and he's very, very cut. So um, <laughs> something for everybody. Yay. Well, now with this ringing endorsement, I will check it out. Yeah. After press story. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it, um, and I'm excited to see how it ends. And Tony Revoloria is also in it. Um, you might remember him. As Flash Thompson from the new Spider-Man movies, he was in Dope. Um, he plays like the um, the neighboring prince who is um, engaged to to the queer princess, and his character is a lot of fun too. But yeah, Willow, I did not expect to like it as much as I do, so it's a, it's a nice surprise. Yay! All right, well, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're setting off once again to a Mediterranean island. This time, <laughs> some private island in Greece to talk about. The new Knives Out film, Glass Onion. Stick around. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club um, for our first episode of 2023, or technically our second episode, because our first episode was technically last week, which was technically also the last episode we recorded in 2022. So let's just say the first episode we're recording in 2023. We are talking about the sequel to Rian Johnson's Knives Out, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery that's now streaming on Netflix which brings us the return of master detective Benoit Blanc on another mystery, this time in a private island in Greece, where he tries to solve the mystery of, once again, who hired him to come to this island? 
<laughs> um, so Glass Onion Like Knives Out features a star-studded cast, including Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., um, Jessica Henwick, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, and of course, Daniel Craig. This time, instead of skewering centrists, it skewers tech elites. Um, um, the story follows a group of friends slash elites who are invited to the private island of tech mogul Miles um, Braun, played by Edward Norton, for a murder mystery weekend um, for their annual, I guess, friends get together. But each of them have secrets. Um, it's kind of hard to set up, huh? Um, are we keeping it spoiler free? We're keeping it spoiler free. I do think free, it's yeah. very hard to talk about this movie in like in true depth without really because the the spoiler is kind of integral to the structure of the movie. Yeah, I think for our for like like always, we'll start the conversation with our spoiler free thoughts about the film in general, and then after we wrap it up, um, we'll enter the spoiler zone where we'll we can talk more in depth about. The um the 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 twists and the outcome because I think those are two separate um conversations. But I think if you're coming to this movie after seeing Knives Out, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? You're it's a murder mystery um where Benoit Blanc, the detective, investigates a bunch of rich people with the central themes revolving around um things like money and privilege and what that does to people. So I guess with that said, like what did what did you all think of Glass Onion? I watched it in the theaters during Thanksgiving um, with my family. So it was really fun. Um, I still don't go out to movies as much as I did before and, you know, pre-COVID and with my previous job. Uh, But this is, it was really fun. And I had a good time. I do think the more you think about it, some things don't make quite as much sense as uh, maybe not as tightly packaged as... Um, Knives Out was, which is obviously just going to be the inherent um, comparison. But I do think in terms of like a second story in the franchise, it's, you know, it was extremely funny. Um, I think Ryan Johnson is one of my favorite directors currently working. He seems like, uh, you know, Justice for Last Jedi. And (laughs) I really, really had a really good time. And I think there are just some movies that don't need to be dissected within every inch of its life. And can we... (laughs) I'm like, I had a good time. Fun, beautiful, talented people in a great location. And at the end of the day, still a whodunit. Love it. Yeah. Rian Johnson seems to have figured out the same formula that the uh, White Lotus guys figured out, which is how to make... How to convince fun people to have a good time with them making mystery movies. Yes, but I do think Ryan Johnson is more aware. <laughs> yes. Than yeah. Mike White is. Sorry, but no, it's I, true. So I have to agree. And I think the comparison is apt because I still have a little bit of a problem. Um, I think Ryan Johnson in general, I like Last Jedi. Very fun. Um, Knives Out, fun. But I do feel a little bit like this one was off for me. Like, Maybe I should have seen it in theater where I could have, you know, drunk in the experience fully and enjoyed, you know, like the visuals and the cast and being gorgeous and beautiful like Janelle Monae. Um, But I feel like maybe just while I was trying to watch it at home, honestly, I was kind of bored at points. And I think there was a lot of self-referential stuff. There was a lot of uh, pop culture references that I was like, I get it, but 
kind of like took me out of it. So I think maybe this was just one of those where it's like when you get a blank check because Knives Out 1 was so, you know, loved that I think he just kind of was like, I'm going to throw everything I can possibly think of and want to do in this one. And so there are a few moments that I was just like, I'm not really enjoying this that much, you know. Um, But I do agree. I think he's slightly more aware than Mike White is. Um, Good for you to be able to, you know, attract that much talent and actually attempt to try to get a fairly diverse, you know, cast together. So, you know, points there. But, you know, not to yuck anyone's yum. If you like this movie, I'm not against it. (laughs) But just personally, I was just like, yeah, this is all right. I mean, right off the bat, it's a different movie than Knives Out is, right? It's a different type of mystery. It's a different construction. Right, so if you're going and expecting the same, like because with these mysteries, right, if you're re- if you're a fan of mystery novels or a fan of like the mystery genre, um, you're you're coming expecting another Benoit Blanc mystery, and you know you might be expecting the same beats as say a Knives Out, but um, Rian Johnson has always been someone who likes to play with genre, right? Like his very first film, Brick, was a hardboard noir, yes. but set. In, and played straight in a um, high school setting. So it kind of makes sense that he also subverts expectations for um, his second Knives Out film as well. Uh, remember that the first film was more like a Columbo-style mystery, right? Where you you start off knowing what happens with the murder, and you're kind of following the accused, try to stay ahead of the detective. And Glass Onion is much more like a classic Agatha Christie uh, mystery where you have a bunch of people gathered together with you know dark secrets and connections with like each other, power players, yeah, who are coming together stuck in an island, and there is shenanigans afoot. Yeah, and there's a, a Belgian, right? This time it's a Southern detective instead of the Poirot, and you kind of you kind of unraveling the onion per se of what everyone's relationship is to each other. Um, I mean. I do like that he still sticks to the theme. Like, like what's a Knives Out film, right? A Knives Out film is a film that skewers the rich. And I feel like the film does that pretty well. Um, this time specifically skewering, um, like, you know, the first film was out skewering centrist liberals. And this one is skewering, you know, power players and tech moguls. Um, and I think it's pretty timely. I know, um, I think people have written that Edward Norton's character, Miles Braun, is not exactly based on Elon Musk, but it is kind of timely that this portrayal is coming out in the midst of like Elon's total. I mean, he wrote this in 2020, so like the whole Twitter debacle did not happen yet. But like all these crazy tech bitches are the same, right? They all (laughs) think they're like smarter than God, and there's all this like crew of people who want to suck at the teat of power. my biggest thing about this whole setup, though, which, like, I did have to suspend. I was like, in what world are these people friends? Yeah. Like, even before they were all famous, like, in what world is... I, I think like, this... They, are they hanging out, like, Dave Bautista, or where, where a governor would be, like... And, and she seems like to be a fairly liberal governor, right? Like, she's representing I mean, liberal, quote-unquote. Like, this, is, this is Knives Out. What they say and what true. they do, what they think, aren't necessarily tied together, right? Yeah, I think... I think that was kind of my idea of it when it's like his concept is to have this multicultural whatever, whatever, you know, group together, which great on screen, but also it doesn't really make sense. Um, I think it makes sense. I I mean, if you take a look at any like tech giants, political 
and their contributions, you'll see a whole lot of different like I mean, people that they support. And part of it is, you know, these are people who need to buy their friends, right? Right. Well, I mean, narratively, that's what the point is, is that they're tied together by the money, you know, and the ambition and basically being able to. But for me, it didn't work. Like when mm. I was watching it, it didn't they didn't mesh together. And also one of the reasons why maybe I like Knives Out one better than this one was both of them have like horrible people. <laughs> but there was some I felt like a bit more affection Um built into each of the characters in Knives Out 1 whereas here I felt like everyone's kind of horrible in a way that I didn't really like. <laughs> well I mean Knives so. Out 1 they were all family so you know yeah, blood maybe is there was something water in there. that part. I mean this part I mean I've known people who will hang out with people they absolutely loathe for access and money. Like it is just yeah. part of our I mean we worked in Hollywood <laughs> Marvin of course we know those right. people. Like I'm not I'm not critiquing that that th- this doesn't happen but it made me not enjoy it as much. Oh, so got it. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the the cast of characters, right? So this time we have, you know, Birdie, who is the um, the fashion icon that tells <laughs> it like it is, um, played by Kate Hudson. Uh, we have Claire, by, played by the always good Catherine Hahn as the politician, the two-faced politician. Um, Lionel, played by Leslie Odom, who is the scientist who is compromising his scientific um, integrity to placate mm-hmm. his, you know, genius tech boss. Now, Duke, played by Dave Bautista, who is the influencer with um, more men's rights leanings. Um, and then you have Andy, um, who is played by Janelle Monet, who is, at first glance, kind of the outcast of the group. Like a former insider who's been, you know, cast Austin. out. I think, like you mentioned, these are all caricatures of like different types of horrible rich people that may or may not be based on real people in real life. Um and, and, you know, I, I don't think it's an accident that the people that we most, at least for me, most connected with were the poor people that were in the margins of these people, yeah. specifically um, the character that Peg. stole the show, Peg, played by Jessica Henwick, who is um, Birdie's, I guess, assistant. And um, I just got us every time, every cut to her rolling her eyes at something one of these rich dumbasses say is like was perfect in my opinion also she's also doing really strange things in the background and like almost every shot it's very entertaining um if you have not done a rewatch on netflix she's like stretching she's like always in some like state of flummox because kate hudson has thrown her or something i think that relationship was maybe the most insightful i felt and i maybe each of them needed someone else to play off of a bit more um because that one worked for me a lot uh peg of course you know jessica Hen- henwick is great um but especially basically being us <laughs> in this situation where uh birdie is saying some white shit uh, so <laughs> um i also like that kate hudson you know is the fashion icon and she's also in real life kate hudson has created a line of um athleisure <laughs> athleisure in yes. real life too so which i thought was really funny um not a spoiler uh but yeah so there were some th- that i felt like that one particularly worked for me especially with the casting yeah but also at the same time her character peg is also someone who is compromising her own ideals mm-hmm. to like be in the periphery of money and power, right? So, it's, you know, everyone's a little yeah. compromised in this show. I think the only people that aren't 100% compromised are the main characters, specifically Benoit Blanc returning as the investigator. And, I mean, okay, second time around, what do we think about 
Benoit Blanc um, in Glass Onion. I mean, this movie is also different because it's much more his movie. The first movie, we're spending all our time with Anna Diarmas' character. And I don't, I think, it's weird. I think I w- he needed someone mm-hmm. more in that first half to bounce off of because mm-hmm. he is too knowing, if that makes sense. Like, he doesn't know anything, but we kind of know he's going to, be okay that you know like the the I, I feel weird saying this but like there's not an emotional attachment to Benoit Blanc or at least I don't have it like I really enjoy watching him but in a in like a detective way like I don't know much about his character I know he's been depressed and he's married to Hugh Grant <laughs> um but like there's it's the it's the um it's the revolving door of like pseudo princesses that he has that Mm-hmm. Is really it seems like it's set up that that's what's our emotional core gonna be, right? So without that in the first half of the movie, it does seem like a little like oh, like a lot of entertaining things are coming are going on, but don't quite know why I need to care about all these terrible people um until we get to that midpoint. Um and and I do think like with the whole peg of it all, right? Like the upstairs, she's kind of our only window into the upstairs downstairs thing that we got in. That was the main kind of nexus in Knives Out, the first movie. Um, so, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering like if in the future movie, like, are we staying with Benoit Blanc or are we going to go back to you know the character of the movie, the 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 heroine of the movie? They all seem to be, you know younger women um mm-hmm. and i think the, those relationships are always really fun to see him kind of partnering with a different a, a, a younger woman and like kind of like going on these shenanigans together yeah i like that idea like first of all you know well done daniel craig transitioning from bond into another character he seems so much happier <laughs> yes. can i say he just seems so much fucking happier bond he looked like he wanted to like kill himself every single time he made a movie well his particular bond was especially dark you know like bond always had some tragedy in his past but this one he was like 100% trauma bond and so good for you to transition into this delightful character Sonny, who has a lot of style. Um, I also like the idea of pairing him up with a younger person. There is a little bit of like Doctor Who vibes with a companion going <laughs> yes, on. Yes, love the companion vibes. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I'm responding to. Yeah, and so his like lines that. are just so funny. <laughs> like he gets to say the most ridiculous stuff in his like fake Kentucky accent, um, wearing like the most, <laughs> wearing the most like I guess what's what's the right word? Gregarious. Yeah, like. His bathing suit, his... Uh, uh, yeah, oh, the bathing A lot's been said about his bathing suit. Yeah, and I think that's what I like is um, the idea of having someone he bounces off of a little bit more because he actually did have a lot of pop culture references that he said. <laughs> and some of it didn't always make sense for him. Like, he definitely quoted something from Hot Ones, that YouTube series. <laughs> um, uh, and... There were a few other times where I felt like this should be a dialogue. You know? I, I do like to think that during COVID quarantine, he just like went on a binge and watched like all these random shit. I mean, <laughs> the most amazing like movie introduction, right? With the most amazing cameos. He's in the bathtub playing Among Us with Stephen Sondheim, Angela <laughs> yeah. Lansbury, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Natasha Leone. And mm-hmm. these are the last two on-screen performances 
of both Stephen Sondheim and Angela Lansbury. Just yes. FYI. That was great. I do and you think the Natasha Leon cameo was a Netflix thing? Probably, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, whenever there's like Netflix uh, people in another Netflix project, that is not a, an, an accident. <laughs> okay, I was also the only one in my theater who recognized Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I recognized him too. And I what? audibly gasped and they got super excited. I'm like, oh, it's Yo-Yo Ma. How and then, do like, they not? My own family was like, who? I'm like, it's, how do you not know Yo-Yo Ma? That's Yo-Yo Ma. I don't Ma. think people right. know what Yo-Yo Ma looks like. All they know is when they see a dude someplace fancy with a cello, that's probably Yo-Yo Ma. Right? Yeah, without the cello. But I do like this idea that Yo-Yo Ma is like breaking COVID, pro- you know, bad boy cellist Yo-Yo Ma is breaking a COVID protocol and hanging out with all these like models <laughs> in, during during um, 2020, you know, pre-vaccine. It's like, wow, Yo-Yo Ma, you really, you really wild in. <laughs> I believe it. Yo-Yo Ma's a bad boy. I know he sure. is. Um, uh, I mean, speaking of Yo-Yo Ma, so he appears in the initial scene. And I guess I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the the construction of the mystery this time, right? Because it is a lot different from Knives Out. Um, and, and, you know, we don't want to keep comparing it to the first movie, although it is a Knives Out mystery, so we can't help it. But, you know, the first film starts off with the murder. And in this film, like, it starts off with a mystery box. And no murder happens till like, literally... Halfway through the film. Yeah. Uh, I won't give away the murderers, obviously. But, you know, I mean, I like the puzzle box. Very fun. Um, I received a swag box from uh, Netflix, by the way. It was not the puzzle box, which I was very disappointed in. Uh, <laughs> but I did get other things. And um, so I always liked that idea of... It's kind of like the heist drama, right? Where... Uh, disparate people come together for one reason and it's in a locked mansion, you know? Um, So that's the murder mystery version of the heist drama that I like. Um, So this one started out very exciting for me. Um, And then you get there and he, and Ed Norton's character, Miles Braun's like, you're here for a murder mystery weekend. So he's actually done this elaborate thing where that's the plot. Um, So of course, you know, when Benoit Blanc's there, then somehow actual murders happen. Um, <laughs> but so I like the premise of it a lot. I also like the idea of breaking COVID protocols, just like how Kim Kardashian did and and so posted on social media of getting all her friends together. Um, on an island in Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember this. Yeah. So all of that, I like the setup. Um, for me, it was just the execution. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I did feel that the first half of the film it did take a while to get to the mystery part of it, right? I mean, there was definitely tension in there, right? And especially with Benoit Blanc being there, um, surprisingly, and with um, with Jenna Monet's character being kind of the outcast. There's this building tension. But interspersed through all that is also a lot of, like, rich people bullshit, right? Which um, this film does love to skewer. Um, what did you... I do love the fact that the first one was skewering, like, well-meaning liberals, right? And the racist shit they say. Um, this one... There are so many, like, all these... I think the thesis of this, you know, of all the jokes for for Glass Onion was, wow, um, rich people are dumb. <laughs> like, really dumb. Um, and there's just so many, like, throwaway jokes that is just, like, had me cackling. Um, like, he paid uh, Jillian Flynn 
to write the murder mystery, but like he says her name <laughs> wrong. Yeah. You know, there are Easter eggs. Like he hangs the Rothko painting wrong. He, I think there's, I saw, I only heard this rewatching it with the subtitles on, but he's like, he's like, I know Anthony Kiedis and Flea get all the credit, but I think like some other guy from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is really the heart of the band. <laughs> John Cushante. Like, yeah, Cushante. Like, I don't even know his name. I'm sorry, John Cushante. I don't know your name because you're not Flea or Anthony Kiedis. Um, and just like really like dumb shit he says. And all this is not a spoiler, but my favorite movie line of the movie is just when Benoit Blanc is like, can't fucking take it anymore. He's like, no, it's just dumb. <laughs> yes. Yes. The breakdown yeah. of Benoit Blanc is great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the film is very takes glee in showing people that like people that you think are like there's this fallacy, right? That people think, oh, you must be a genius to be rich or you must be really smart to make all that money. When the truth is, a lot of the people that we consider tech geniuses aren't even tech people, right? Like they're not engineers. No, no they're they're, not they're the snake oil charlatans. <laughs> yeah. They're the snake oil charlatans. And I don't know, as someone who like does not easily I'm very distrustful of like any tech. I was in the Bay Area for too long. Like I've met mm. these a lot of these tech people. They're all fucking insane and like they're not smarter than me. Like that's when you real and then working in Hollywood and realizing mm. like oh no, all these people that like even like, you know, certain like public trust figures like journalists. I'm like and I've met them and I'm like, "Oh my god." You're not smarter than me. Oh yeah. my god, <laughs> it it kind of comes gives you a little bit of a crisis, right? Yeah, so many people fail upwards, and I do. And God, you see that so much in journalism. And then also, I remember even in college, I was just thinking, like, why do why do people like worship those in the Ivy League? Because that's like a lot of times you can only you just buy yourself into you know into there. But also, yeah. like even doctors, I was like, you don't worship all doctors. I was like, a lot of these oh, people. No, no. If you can pass with a C, you can get a lot of C level doctors out there. Oh my god, so. doctors are fucking. Don't trust your medical. <laughs> I mean, trust me, trust science. Yeah, and like do what's best, but like do not. Like yes, again, again, my yeah. my partner is a physician, and I have met many of his physician colleagues in various stages, and I'm like, how are you a medical professional entrusted with the care of ex- you mm-hmm. like you you literally one of his bosses like got like previous like you know like re- attendee bosses at one of his hospitals like was arrested for like stalking and like <laughs> trying to like like doing some kind of crazy shit to their like ex-partner like it was bad and we're just like i'm just like what yeah i think yeah. uh i think what the whole twitter fiasco really sort of made this parallel apparent was uh, someone was posting on Twitter like, you know, I don't know anything about AI. So when it came to Tesla, I thought that was really cool that Elon was doing it. I don't know anything about space stuff. So when he was you know, launching things into space, he thought that was cool. He's like, but I do know software. And now all of the tweets that like Elon's been doing about software has revealed himself to be an idiot. And so he's like kind of broke it down that way. And I was like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like if it's something is beyond you, you kind of just assume that people know it. They they don't always. Um, I think that's how I just. A lot of- I don't trust anything that men get too excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, Gross. I didn't even bother to learn what an NFT was because, like, that's that's dumb. It's so that's dumb. Work. It is dumb. It's not gonna work. It's, still I mean, is dumb. And I feel like they <laughs> captured that feeling so so well in like whenever Edward Norton's character says anything, whenever Mouse goes into one of his like like I'm a change Steve the world jobs, shit like, yeah. monologues, and again the camera zeroes in on Jessica Henwick's peg. 
rolling her eyes. Yeah. Um, uh, Miles Braun, and I'm glad that they finally called it out, is like uses a lot of malapropisms. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so Benoit does eventually call that out. I was like, thank you. God, that was killing me. But obviously I knew that eventually someone was going to. Because can, they, I, can I say, I what? once dated a guy. Oh, no. Who did, it, but like, otherwise all very nice, like, very woke you know, like, man, like, was not from wealth or anything like that. Did not buy into any of these, mm-hmm. you know, like, NFT, get rich capitalism things. But the one thing that was really weird was that he would use words incorrectly. Oh. Like, like Miles Braun. Um, like, like, to be would, cute or, like, seriously? No, no, he was, like, serious. Like, he would try to use these words, and then I would try to gently tell him, like, hey, like, you know, that's technically correct, but, like, the connotation is not... Yeah. Like, you wouldn't use that word for this context, right? Or, like, that doesn't really make sense. You know, like, difference between a booty call and a butt dial, right? Like, (laughs) technically same thing, but you don't use them in the same context. They're not. They're not even the same thing. Um, So, I would, like, try to say these things. He's like, oh, and he would, like, be adamant that they were. I'm just like, oh, "Oh, yeah, this is not going to work. When he argues back, that's the thing. Like, it, it, in some ways, it reminds me of, you know, working with a young writer who, like, obviously has latched on to a few certain phrases. Um. Like I knew one writer who all of a sudden started using the word oft instead of often. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, you gotta like pick your bat you know, pick your battles. And I was like, that's the one I was not. I was like, I'll let the next person who edits her deal with that. <laughs> um but anyway, Benoit is uh what I like is when he calls out the truth teller, Birdie. Um, just saying like just Oh, there's a choice quick- quote, yeah. Yeah. I, I I paraphrasing here, but it's like just because you're quick to say something that uh that you think is the truth doesn't make it like actually true. <laughs> um, um no, it's like uh, it was um there's nothing more dangerous than equating speaking without thought for speaking the truth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, which I felt like, like the same thing. Oh, am I dangerous? <laughs> so she totally goes over her head. Oh, great. Kate Hudson did a good job playing this, the worst. I think everyone was really well cast. I think he cast a wonderful ensemble. I think everyone played, like, all talented people. They all, no, no one, like, like stole, and I mean this in a good way, like, no one stole the show. Um, They were all great, and, and I and I know there's been a lot of um, buzz around Dave Bautista because he just um, he has this movie coming out. He has like Knock on the Cabin Door or whatever, the M. Night Shyamalan movie coming out. And I just I'm just like, oh, this is a very good utilization of Dave Bautista. Um, and and I actually I actually really enjoyed I don't in, you know enjoy his character but i enjoyed watching his character i thought he was very funny with the gun and the um like the interactions with his mother and and his whole um shtick uh that that's that's i do not listen to any of those terrible misogynistic (laughs) personalities it's like the closest i can get um everything i learned about them was against my will um and and even Madeline Klein, who I don't am not too familiar with, um, who plays Whiskey, his girlfriend. Uh, yeah, they're all great. And some of her lines are again some of these throwaways. Like I really want to get into politics. <laughs> um, but that was great. I th- I think the characters were really fun. Yeah, um, I agree with Han. Some of the execution may not have been as tight um, because just the way this movie is structured and some of those you know, like setbacks about 
It starts real slow, for sure. It takes yeah. a long time to get going. And a lot of the first half could have probably been cut. and We still would have had a pretty yeah. good mystery. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can put a pin there and we can continue discussion later in our spoiler zone. But um, before we go, we got to ask, um, for the first time in 2023, is Glass Onion good pop? Yes, I think we want I want to reward um even though this is like technically now a franchise like let's do fun not previously IP movies. Let's get beautiful people together in fun costumes on great locations. Let's get more murder mysteries. I I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a like murder I'm a procedural gal. Um but I can't really watch procedural shows anymore cuz it's too copy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I would love more fun movies not involving cops about solving mysteries. Um, I would say, yes, it's also good pop despite my critiques. I like the genre and I want to see more Benoit Blanc. Yes, more outfits. Oh my God. Where do you think the next one's going to be? Where would you want the next one to be? Uh, you know what? I think I would like to have it in. I don't know, crazy thought, maybe England, like a Victorian castle or something, or some sort of like gothic sort oh, of situation. I would like to see like, Benoit Blanc interact with posh British people in a villa or yeah. manor somewhere. I think we need, okay, here's my pitch, Swiss ski chalet, <laughs> European nobles. The fashions will be fun. Amazing. Like ski wear, which is also very Agatha Christie because one of her most famous ones is you know in that setting I would like let's because we got the tropical let's do like a let's do the opposite let's do a little blizzardy let's get some chic ass outerwear some could you imagine the wool oh oh my god i did miss the sweaters or like the puffy so the ski jacket the knitwear yes let's bring <laughs> the back knitwear the scarves oh my god yeah. 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 I also thought it was good pop. Um definitely not as tight as Knives Out. And it's kind of it's like, yeah, I mean, I agree with Han that that first half, especially the first half leading up to the first major twist, it took a lot longer and maybe took a little too long to get there. But also like all the characters were so well cast. The interactions were pretty fun. And you know, I'm always gonna be pro skewering the rich, um, skewering the elite and kind of the putting a light to the myth of the elite uh, through the eyes of Benoit Blanc. And overall, I thought it was a pretty, you know, once the mystery got started um, and you start putting the threads together, it was much less of like a whodunit and more of just like, okay, like we're kind of learning everyone's motivations and everyone's threads with each other, but which one is like the true truth? And, you know, the the climax is, was pretty fun. It was pretty fun and pretty exciting. And um, I thought overall as a second outing um, of the adventures of Benoit Blanc, it was it was pretty good. I am looking forward to the next one though. I hope it I hope it does take place in that ski chalet. That sounds that sounds good. <laughs> All right. And on that note, that'll do it for our first good pop of 2023. Jess Han, happy new year. Um, if people want to find more of your thoughts, where can they go? I'm still in the scrunches of Twitter. I see the cracks forming, but I'm still there because I don't know where to go. So just you tweets. Uh, yeah, let's oust Elon. Um, anyway, I'm at Anonymous. I am still on Twitter and Marvin Yue. The show is still at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member, as always, of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcasts by going through the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, stay tuned for our um, Knives Out 
Glass Onion Spoiler Cast. Um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like. A podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. All right, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club Spoiler Zone uh, for Knives Out Glass Onion. Um, from this point forward, um, all spoiler tags are off and we'll be discussing all the twists, turns and outcomes of this murder mystery. Um, I guess to start off, what did y'all think of the twist this time? The first twist specifically, which is that Janelle Monet's character, Andy, was not Andy after all. Um, I was down for that. We we haven't seen one of the, it, it kind of was a throwback sort of thing, which is the uh, replaced by a twin <laughs> yeah, situation. A part of me was like, really? Yeah, I wrote down this? on my notebook, twin sister. Yeah, this it's is just a little, like beer fest. It's a little cheesy. So, or corny, however you want to say it. But um, I was fine. I, I don't think I was necessarily shocked, but I was kind of like, well, we were supposed to, you know, believe it was Andy. So I was okay with it. It gave Janelle Monet time to like stretch a little bit and do a little bit of accent work herself <laughs> so i i know, did love double. the yeah. daniel craig janelle monet southern accent off it was pretty fun I, I mean honestly it was all worth it for the um the the i got shot and we're gonna use jeremy renner's hope he he'll he recovers <laughs> quickly jeremy renner's hot sauce is a yes. major plot point which was and as well as Jared Leto's kombucha, yeah, were both major plot points, um, which was pretty great. A um, lot of name dropping in this, which is, I guess, what these rich people would do, anyways, right? Yes, yeah, it, it definitely um, that was enjoyable, uh, especially even just the fact that it was kombucha, like <laughs> it, it, hard it, kombucha, yeah, hard kombucha. Oh my god, kombucha alone, I hate. But hard kombucha would be. Oh, doubly. I love co- hard kombucha is pretty good. But I do get really drunk. I I forget it's, it's alcoholic, and I've gotten very drunk on kombucha before. Re- well, regular kombucha is like I tried to like it because it's bubbly and it's like fruity, but also it, the sugars were getting to me. You don't have to. It's fine. It's okay. Huh? Yeah, it's okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm not defending myself. I'm just thinking that kombucha <laughs> was really funny as that the expected you know sort of product that jared leto made so anyway um <laughs> but yeah so i liked uh and also you get to see janelle monet especially being very fancy as her as andy so all the 
the costuming was great. So I don't think we should have a lot more twin plot lines of this nature going forward. But at the it same was, time, it's been a while. So it was fine. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was super contrived. Mm-hmm. And definitely I was it was a good added wrinkle to I mean it it did bring us back on track to like okay now it's a knives out story because we have like we mentioned Benoit Blanc and his like assistant who isn't one of these rich people, right? Um I thought that was it was exciting to get back on that track. Um I just I, yeah, I, I guess I just wish it happened a little bit earlier. Cause remember in Knives Out, like that first twist, that first flashback was like within the first 20 minutes of the film. Yeah, so this is my other issue with it. And I don't know, I know that the the reveal of this also is tied to the reveal of all the other plot that we don't know. And um, the complaint that this is not a typical murder mystery in that it doesn't actually lay out the clues for you to follow, but instead hides all of them and then just says, here are all the clues you missed because we never showed them to you. Like, I kind of understand why a few people were like, yeah, that, that wasn't a, the true way to do this. Um, so, but I do wonder if they, for example, tried to do it a little bit more chronologically, if it would have had the same impact. And I don't think it would have. So I kind of get why they did it the way he did it. Um, I just don't know, like, how effective it it was in the long run. I mean, I've seen people, and you did this as well, Han, during our discussion, compare this film more to like a heist film than mm-hmm. a than a murder mystery um, because it hinges on a lot of misdirects, a lot of like unreliable narration, unreliable, unreliable flashbacks. Because, um, you know, the the final act when you start like peeling back the layers and seeing all the manipulation that uh, Miles Braun has been doing to his friends reminds me of like, Ocean's Eleven's third act, where you're like, okay, this is what's actually happening. Like, this is what this is what you thought happened. This is what the sleight of hand was, and kind of revealing like the the misdirections, right? Yeah, I think so. I forgot who the director was, but um, he was saying that basically heist films are relationship films because it's really all about how they deal with each other during it, leading up to it, um, and then also the fallout. Because obviously, a heist never goes one hundred percent completely right and so there's a fallout so what i did so in some ways if people are watching this on netflix um the number one show right now is kaleidoscope which is a heist series but every netflix user gets the episodes in a different order so supposedly so supposedly you are still able to piece together let's say the backstory the current heist the what's the fallout um all the way up to the end and the finale episode is the same one um for yeah and so it's it in some ways a little bit like this where it's a little bit Rashomon style um and maybe I would have liked it if there was more of that like more showing like each of the characters and what we didn't see instead of just one big chunk in the middle (laughs) yeah I did think my biggest criticism is actually I it was very obvious what was gonna happen not the twin part but I'm just like Mm. I don't know maybe I was being hyper vigilant but I was like oh yeah he gave him the cup yeah, well, they they really play that out. You're like, oh, wait, it has the cup. And also, it has his name on it. So, yeah. I was fooled. I thought it was Andy at first. Um, I also, you know, of these, co- I guess. <laughs> as someone who has a mild allergy to pineapple, I knew that was a uh, Chekhov's allergy. Oh, <laughs> that was Chekhov's pineapple. Allergy. Yeah, definitely Chekhov's allergy. I, I clocked that. I also clocked Chekhov's Mona Lisa. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which was a, How, a ballsy one. You know what I'm scared did not pay off though? Chekhov's Ethan Hawke. Oh, that's true. <laughs> like, do you think he just called Ethan Hawke <clears throat> and was like, yo, you want to come to Greece for like a day and like do this for me? Yeah. Or Chekhov's um, COVID spray. I was or like, Chekhov's oh, that, random dude who lives on his house. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a red herring Dave. for sure. That yeah. guy was a red herring. <laughs> and then, and then also, you know, again, I know we're trying to suspend disbelief, but like at the end, I'm like, no one's surviving that fucking hydrogen bomb explosion. Like, how is everyone walking out of this? No one's, no it one's was alive. Only a little bit of hydrogen bomb, just a tiny bit. No, the whole thing has been powered with hydrogen. So I'm like, oh, there's like it should I'm have like, been a chain reaction for sure. I like, thought, yeah, I do thought. Do you remember the Hindenburg, Marvin? <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought the whole thing was going up too. But I was just like, I, um, a part of me was like, oh, that's kind of ballsy. Like, if you just killed everyone. <laughs> yeah, if you kill everyone and then Andy or Helen um, and Benoit get blown free, you know, kind of like just outside the radius. So because you can't kill Benoit, um, then I would have been like, kind of like, that would have been a fun ending <laughs> just to kill all of them. Yeah, the ending should just be Andy slash Helen sitting on the front steps with a big smoldering ruin behind her. Yeah, and I think that would have been a very satisfying ending. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but I wasn't super satisfied with the ending. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I wanted more. because we didn't get to see the actual fallout, right? Just the idea of the fallout that he will forever be... He's linked with the Mona Lisa, but not in the way he wanted. Very monkey's paw of him. Mm -hmm. Um. But, you know, we don't get to see the because because, you know, an American in American film structure, we want our just rewards. Right. We want an equal punishment to how bad or good that character has been. So we want to, you know, we can only because because I also think our cynicalness is be like, oh, he'll probably be fine. He'll probably still be a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. Like, still I believe him and defend him, you know. Right. Because, you know, not to t- I mean. We're going to compare it to the first film, but the first one had such a such a satisfying final scene, right? Of like Anna de Armas' character on the balcony drinking off her mug while the entire rich family is staring at her from below, her having taken all of their inheritances, right? I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, I think Miles Braun inherently is too stupid to be a good villain against Benoit Blanc. <laughs> like, Chris Evans' character was formidable enough to try to you know, machinations his way into this inheritance. But, like, Miles Brown is just such a fucking idiot. Yeah. And as long as we're doing fantasy, because this is more of a fantasy than, like, a typical murder mystery, um, then you definitely should just kill them all. (laughs) Like, (laughs) why not? And then he can have his Bond era traumatized. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm so full of darkness. Uh, Um, I did... I did enjoy his like donut speech on part two um, that he did during the the parlor scene where you think it's an accusation scene, but he's actually just buying time for Helen to find the envelope. And he starts going to his metaphor about the onion and peeling the onion. And the conclusion is it's all stupid. This whole thing is dumb. I can't believe you're making me do this. It was also a really ugly villa. Yeah. I'm just like, wow. I get, I mean, accurate Mm -hmm. for the, character and his taste and stuff but i'm like oh you know i did go to a real place that kind of looks like the glass onion it's the red bull founder who is by all (laughs) means like a terrible man he just like he's like very pro-trump and like kind of like fascist-y 
Um, he he has a big glass dome that he built right outside Salzburg, and he just filled it with his like fancy airplanes and helicopters and toys. And then I ate breakfast. The breakfast was very good. I will say, <laughs> you can eat breakfast there. Um, and it's actually quite affordable for what you get. Um, so I was like, oh, this this looks like the Red Bull headquarter place I went to in Austria. I mean, stuff rich people all buy, rich people right? people are the same. Rich people are boring <laughs> because they're all the same. Like, that's the thing. Like, they're followers. They're so followers. And, like, I feel like at least back in the day, I'm not saying, you know, the rich people rich people are ever good, but, like, at least the rich people back in the day were, like, kind of interesting. Like, they would do shit, like, have scandalous affairs and shoot each other and, like, shit like that. Like, <laughs> I think if you're rich, your job is to provide entertainment and patronize the arts. Yeah, I, I think maybe because there was no social media that the rich people in, say, the Gilded Age were unique, more uniquely horrible. Um, and they were stylish and things like that. Whereas here, there is definitely uh, being influenced by what the other bros do and, and concepts <laughs> of, you know, coolness from when you were, like, 18. Yeah, I feel like I would respect the megalomania more if you guys just look <clears throat> cool doing it. But none of these bitches look cool. No, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the walking human avatar that doesn't look human, that <laughs> like always looks like he hasn't rubbed his sunscreen in. Yeah. No, terrible, terrible. Be interesting. Be hot. Be fashionable. You're, you're telling me you don't want a was a digitized dong every hour. It was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Gordon yeah. <laughs> was it? Yes. Yeah. He got another friend, yet another friend, to do uh, a voice cameo for this. I mean, um, they, Apparently he's in every single Ryan Johnson movie. So. Yeah. Yes. He was, um, um, I don't know if you've seen, like I mentioned, Brick, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. is the, the main investigator. He is the proto-Benoit Blanc in yes. um, his first movie. <laughs> yeah. Brick was good. But... I mean, what I want to ask is, what is Rian Johnson's problem with Clue? Because it's a perfectly good game, and I like it a lot. And there's a lot of, a lot of Clue slander in this film. And I don't know why. <laughs> I, 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 I think he's mistaking Clue for an actual murder mystery plot driven, you know, narrative, which it is not. So I think that is uh, <laughs> a misalignment in expectations on Ryan Johnson's part. <laughs> Because Benoit Blanc definitely uh, trashes Clue, which is kind of funny. Um, so maybe that's the point. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it is a dumb game. But it's 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 not favorite, exactly a, yeah. My favorite Clue memory is when I manipulated a friend into losing the game on the first turn with expert mind games. With um, oh my god, convincing them you're such a terrible person. Oh my god. <laughs> um, well, my thing is like I think. He like Benoit Block trashes Clue, but Janelle Monet's character is able to use Clue principles mm -hmm. to achieve her goal. <laughs> so, you know, I think he gives props where props is due. Yeah. Um, and I love Clue the movie, which if you've never seen it, it's hilarious. It doesn't make any sense, no, but it's very, very entertaining. Um Great Tim Curry performance. Great Madeline Kahn performance. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess that's that's all I wanted to talk about for Knives Out Glass Onion. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to 
to um, to declare to declare before we uh, call it a night. <laughs> I want to hear more of your southern accent. That's what I want. Oh no, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> uh, no, I think that kind of sums it up. It's been a few weeks since I watched it, so it's not the freshest in my mind. Um, but that also tells you like what does stick out, like stick with you, is probably the best parts of it. Yeah. Well. On that note, um, I guess that'll do it then for our spoiler zone for Glass Onion. Thanks for sticking around, and we'll see you all next time on Good Pop. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye again.